Hello and welcome to a scuffed Wonderland podcast. Sorry, a Bergkamp Wonderland podcast. The reason I say scuffed is because when Danny's not here, I mean, everything goes off out the window, really. There's no rules, nothing. It's just, it's just, yeah, it goes off. Anyway, one rule that is always in place is, uh, is I'm your host. My name is Chris. You might know me from such platforms as Twitter and Instagram. Other than that, you can't find me anywhere else but the back pages. I have got two fabulous guests with me this evening. I, first of all, have a regular parish of, of this, oh, sorry, regular visitor of this parish, I should say, and that is Mr. Josh Daw. Josh, how was dinner? Uh, it was pretty tasty. Um, I could show off my skills with an air fryer now. Uh, I have a, have had an air fryer for a whole week. Uh, it also does slow cookers. This morning, I woke up to a freshly overnight cooked chicken soup. That I had for my lunch, and don't I sound like a as much as a wanker as I look um, with that statement? I didn't. I wasn't going to go with the look, but the wanker bit was, was definitely, yeah, 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 definitely. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you you sound like you sound like one of those people that that is is talking about the heating bill every five minutes. So you, don't don't do that, please don't do that. Oh, it cost Fact. me six p. Cost me six p. Six p. Six p. My you, soup overnight. Six p. Do you, do you? Are you going to like turn your house into Forest Green Rover Stadium anytime soon? Or is that the next step to your revolution? Or, or I mean, right now, with going how windy it is in Brighton, it does feel like some of the sides are open and uh, yeah. the weather is coming in from all corners. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, we'll I went across there, a bridge. I went across a bridge earlier on. And I haven't been blown that well since university. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Um, we've also got a returning face. Um, I know him well. I'm sure you guys will remember him from the good old days of Goonosphere. If you don't, well, I don't know if the podcast is still available, but if they are, probably best to avoid them unless you've got headphones. Uh, it's Mr. Daniel Cowan. Dan, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Chris. How, how, how are you doing? I'm I'm all right. I'm all right, mate. Yeah, it's it's been a while. I was trying to think earlier on. Probably the last time we podded together must have been Goodness Fear days. I, I would imagine, anyway, unless we had like a random crossing I, of paths since. I but think, I, I, think I, did a, I think I had a guest feature a couple of years ago here. Although you did look genuinely perplexed at being asked if you're okay. Oh, the, did I? Are the other podcasters being mean to you, Chris? No, it's just that I, I'm I'm locked in the basement, um, as you can see. I don't leave this room, so uh, it, it's just the what's that? It's that Stockholm syndrome. That's what it is. But um, no, I'm all right. I'm I'm okay. You know, I'm just I'm just me, really. Nothing nothing exciting ever happens in my life. But I can confirm I'm. I'm That's old not true. I follow you. I follow you on Twitter and Instagram. Plenty of <laughs> things happen in your life. Uh, some some in fact my instagram is probably more interesting than my twitter because I, I was sat there last night hovering hovering over the um over the reply button to a, to a few people with very short memories of ex-arsenal players but in the end i chose not to uh josh knows what i, I mean, mean can i quickly just say that i would happily get kolasinic back from marseille just so we can rip his contract up again for that miss mm. <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah, he, he isn't the one. I'd keep, to, I'd keep re-signing him I mean, and keep just ripping that contract up in his face. Yeah. Fuck's God, sake. what a myth. I don't, I don't think that's the and, and, that, that, and they wouldn't have had time for that. Constantly. I won't pay him for it. Yeah. So, oh, I, I think, come back I think you, you invite him back and say, look, we're re-signing you. Yeah. Do the tour around Colney. You know, get Edu to like show him about, are these all the amazing things, this and that. And then just as he's about to sign the contract, slap the pen out of his hand. <laughs> and they say sorry not today that's how you pay him back oh, for that miss 
Maybe, we maybe not even, the money, just, just snatch the dream away. Yeah. We could even uh, introduce him to, um, we could even say, like, this This is our tunnel area. We could give him the full Ivan Gazidis <laughs> treatment and then mercilessly throw him out, out the back door. Um, well, but anyway, yes, that's... Uh, or <laughs> the Kolasinac step. That's, uh, that, that, there you go. There is the, there is the future of, uh, of the Emirates Stadium. Anyway, enough waffle. Uh, let's do some more waffle, but about the, the game. We're, we're not going to go back to PSV last week because, frankly, who the fuck wants to go back over that disaster? My God, we were bad. So we'll just draw a line under that straight from the off and pretend it didn't happen. Exactly. It didn't happen. Nobody knows. Nobody saw it. It didn't happen. We'll... We'll instead talk about the the win on Sunday. Um, Daniel, let's let's get your thoughts first of all because I going into this game, I, I was fairly confident we would win it. I'm not going to lie, but I sort of thought it would be a KG one nil, like one of those where we're, you know it's like a Wolves or a Cardiff or a, I think back to some of those games that we've gone through in the past. It was sort of going that way, and then halftime came, and then it all sort of changed, and it was very easy in the second half. How much do you put that down to how good we were and how utterly abysmal Forrest were? Because, my God, are they bad. Do you know what? I don't actually think Forrest are that bad. And I don't, I don't want us to kind of get into that you know, that narrative of, um, you know, Arsenal are only top of the league because we're playing crap teams. You know, Forrest have got some good results against some good good teams and you know they've had some pretty naff results but what do you expect when you know you're bedding in 37,000 different new signings um you know in your first year back in in the in the Premier League after about you know half a millennia but but overwhelming for for a, a newly promoted team I think they're actually playing some pretty brave stuff I think there are a lot of teams that come up would just sit back and just defend no matter who they're playing and just try and i don't know draw their way to um premier league survival so you know i need four, four, 40 points to survive if i draw 37 games and win one we've got our 40 points so we're all good um but but i think that actually that kind of cavalier attitude that they've had has got them some some decent results and i think arsenal teams of the past i'm i'm gonna say I'm going to say pre-Arteta, late Wenger, sort of pretty much all of Emery's uh, time. We probably still would have won that game, but Forrest would have stuck three or four past us and we would have won it 5-4 rather than 5-0. The only thing I could really say about the game is that I was just desperately sad not to be there um, because I had tickets and then I had to give my ticket away to my brother because I had COVID. So I couldn't actually go and I was... I was like testing every day going, please be negative, please be negative so I can go. And because I knew I just had a feeling it was going to be a big win. And I think that's something that's that Arsenal's really missed this year is having a really stonking, convincing win against the team you expect us to dispatch. You know, you expect us to beat Forest, but as you say, you expect a KG one nil, maybe two nil, but it's to actually stick five past the team and never really look like we were going to concede. I think it's going to do wonders for the squad, especially when you consider the players who managed to, you know, finish up on the pitch. We ended with, you know, Cedric on the pitch. Um, you know, half of our best players had kind of gone off or, or were injured or were having a bit of an off day in in some respects. Um, and then 
you know, we, we had that fantastic second half Nelson. So, which was, which yeah. was great to see. Yeah, yeah, we will definitely come on to him shortly. Um, Josh, I, again, that's what I was saying to, to Daniel there before, like, I just had that that feeling that we, we kind of needed to start quickly because we needed to set the tone because you know what you're going to get from a Forest side that, that are, you know, that Liverpool result aside, which almost seems like a bit of a gimme playing Liverpool at the moment, but it was a bit of an anomaly. They got that win and I sort of felt like their blueprint was, was going to be turn up, stick sort of 10 men behind the ball, look for counters, didn't happen. And it really all came from that sort of opening salvo and, and Martinelli scoring a header. I think there was some talk in, uh, in training, I believe. It's, it's Alvin Steinboat was saying, one of the coaching staff was saying that he's one of the best headers of the ball mm. at the club at the moment, which surprised me slightly. But really, really good header from him, wasn't it? To, to set the tone, getting across his, his marker and heading home. Bukayo Saka's sort of, pretty clever cross I thought because it was right into that area where nobody wants to defend and, and in came Martinelli good start though wasn't it yeah. good good way to get yeah. off against the side that were going to sit back absolutely and uh, to be honest I could say that I was at the Forest game before the Liverpool one which was a, a way to Brighton and that's what you kind of saw that it was a team that at the moment they just need points by hook or by crook they will get points out of a game so We've seen it at the Emirates. Uh, we can go back to you know, any team that Sam Allardyce has managed in the last two decades. Um, and I could name a another English manager of that era and their team coming to the Emirates. And you know what I'm now going to say is that that team would try and get to halftime at nil-nil and then continue, continue. And maybe 88th minute, okay, there might be a chance of three points here. But you know what, actually? We'll take the point. And that's what that Forest team is kind of set up for at the moment is they'll take a draw. They didn't expect anything out of the game. And you know what? If we'd not broken them down so quickly after five minutes, we know it would have been a slog for at least that first half. Uh, We didn't let them get set. That's one of the big things I've noticed under Arteta now is that we're hitting teams quickly and early. Um, And... Yeah, it was just a fantastic start to the game. Uh, I, I think most people in the UK hadn't even managed to find a reliable stream by the time kickoff had happened. So, uh, yeah, it was a great start. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you're like me, I just didn't bother with streams at all. Arsenal.com, listen to the commentary, happy days. Um, but just sticking with you for a minute, in terms of the lineup, that there's been a bit of a bit of hand wringing about sort of Kieran Tierney's situation we might maybe touch on that later on if, if anybody has any questions or that regard we'll come on to that maybe to finish but he he didn't start again in this this game and and once again we played Tommy Asu now no issue with playing Tommy Asu absolutely not you know he's, he's come into the side of recent weeks and has played really well my only sort of slight thought on it is it I, I don't know just I'm just not sure I'm 100% sold on this playing at home to a side bottom in the league or there or thereabouts and basically playing four centre-backs. Um, I just sort of felt like maybe this would have, get, would have been the game to bring Tierney back in. Some people are saying there's an argument to say, well, actually, it's it's a fitness issue. Is Zinchenko only just coming back to training today? You didn't want to risk Tierney, etc. Did did you raise an eyebrow at that or were you sort of quite content with Tommy Asu still being in that left-back slot? Yeah, I think he's the player that's shown that outside of Zinchenko playing in that position, for me, I think he's the next best thing 
compared to Tierney. Tierney isn't that kind of left back. He's not. He doesn't do what Arteta really wants that player now to do in that position. You can see that if we were to bring Tierney on, to be honest, it would probably be more likely in the positions that Martinelli's picking up. You, know, you want him out on the wing, getting chalk on his boots, and uh, then feeding the more talented uh, players who can finish. That's kind of what we've got him for. And I can see a situation, and I think I mentioned it before the season started, that I could see quite happily Kieran Tierney being moved on in the summer. And not just necessarily because of his injury record, but he doesn't fit what Arteta now wants to bring to this side, I think, defensively. Um, You can see that, I know, I don't want to go back to the blueprint of Guardiola and how you can see that how Arteta kind of mirrors some some of the styles that Guardiola's got. If you look at their available left-backs, it's Nathan Ake and uh, Gomez, who's a kid straight from Anderlecht. Or Jao Cancelo out of position. Jao yeah. Cancelo, who's now got to play, yeah, he's out. He's now over at right-back because Carl Walker's injured. So they are very different players. I think we'd all agree Cancelo is very much like a midfielder rather than a fullback, uh, with that kind of traditional sense of a fullback. And Tierney, yeah, he's bringing that into his game. He's He does now look more comfortable when he's playing inside the pitch rather than hugging that touchline. But from what I could see for trying to break down this team, uh, especially the, Nor- yeah, the Nottingham Forest team, is do I want to be spending most of my time giving it out to the fullback who's then going to knock crosses in for Steve Cook just to go, yep, yep, and just keep heading them out? Because that's what I would see Forest as just being happy all day. It's exactly what they want. Centre-backs who are being protected by this side, really, um, just getting balls into the box because that's what they'll do with every day. They dealt with it in the championship and they'll deal with it again in the Premier League. Uh, it needed a bit more finesse and you could see with all the goals we scored, it wasn't a kind of, right, we've just stuck a big guy in there and we're just trying to brute force our way through. It was intricate. There was a lot of clever movement that that's the way that we unlocked uh, that Nottingham Forest defence. And I think it's all credit to that change we've had and yeah it's a shame that Tierney I know he is a fan favorite and even Arteta favorite when he came in but Tierney's now not the only guy in training who works hard I think that's clear he was the marker and you can see how everybody below him has basically left the club and we're only left with the young boys who are still there or bringing in these new players who have that work ethic I think the only other one that has really survived since then is Granit Xhaka the only other player with a similar work ethic. The cockroach of Colney, as I call him, um, in the nicest possible way. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd say I take it. I, and I have to stress, I'm not sitting here moaning. I know that there's that period of time, isn't there, before a game when the team news, team news goes up and everyone has a collective, like, just meltdown. I don't really know. I say everyone, people who are that way inclined that don't really get it. I just raised an eyebrow myself. I, I thought he would start, but... Alas, it doesn't really matter. One thing we also need to talk about before we go into the second half, where it all happened, Daniel, is that the Saka injury, 
I saw in Arteta's press conference today ahead of the game on Thursday, uh, they asked him about this and basically said, like, why did it take so long? Because it seemed to be he got a kick. He got a kick very early on. Then he got another kick. And it was sort of pretty apparent when he was hobbling around that that he, he couldn't put weight on it. It was it was either sort of a dead leg or a, an impact injury in the ankle or the shin area. And it was very clear to me that the decision needed to be made for him. Um but it, it seemed like there was some some discussion between Gary O'Driscoll and Arteta about what what to do. Eventually, they made the call to bring him off. Were you as uh, I say surprised? I was sat at home going, well, Reese Nelson, it's got to be like. And I know some people thought Vieira would be the logical one. I wanted a winger, and I wanted that that opportunity for Nelson. When he was the man who got the call, was it surprising for you, or, or did you kind of agree with me and think that was the right substitution to make at that time? Well, I, th- I think both. I think it was the right substitution to make. But it was surprising to see Reese come on. I think, you know, I'm and have been from the day he was appointed a fan of Arteta. Um, even from his playing days, just watching the way that he used to marshal the team and he used to, you know, be telling his fellow players where they should be positioning themselves. you got to remember this is a guy who came to us late in his career, who was probably, you know, incredibly grateful. Well, we know how grateful he was because he took a pay cut, but incredibly grateful to be joining a top-level club, probably thinking that it was never really going to happen for him, having not made it at Barcelona, never really have broken through at PSG and sort of the pinnacle of his career had been Rangers and Everton. And he came to us as an attacking midfielder. And he had a really great reputation as a mid, mid-table mid attacking midfielder. And he came in and then he started taking that deep-line playmaker role, almost defensive midfielder position. And I think that at the time when he came in, he was exactly what we needed and he was a, he was a great player. But you could see that he was a very tactical, strategic player. And when it was clear that he was going to go into coaching, and that he was interested in the Arsenal job and Arsenal were interested in him. I thought, well, do you know, if, we, if we're going to take a chance on someone, I'd want to take a chance on Arteta because I feel like he's someone who gets the club. And I think we've seen that, you know, through the through the documentary um, and we've seen the progression of the team over the last couple of years. Um, but having said that, if I do have a criticism, criticism of him, it's that he clearly has his favourites in the sense of, He's got a core nucleus of players. And I think that comment where he said, well, you know, if you want to be a top level player, you've got to play 50, 60 games. I, I think that's more of a case that that's him saying. I've got certain players that I want to play 50, 60 games a year for me. When we all know we've all watched enough football to know that when you play a 50, 60 game season, the only player who usually gets, you know, up to that, that, that number sort of 50 plus games is usually a goalkeeper because they don't have a lot of running about to do. Most other players, you know, completing, featuring in every Premier League game of the season is sort of a big accolade and very few people do it. And then you add in the cup games and the European games. The idea that, you know, a player is going to play 50 or 60 games in the season, I think is just bizarre. So when he said that, I thought, this is clearly, you just don't want to play these other players. Because you don't think, like going back to the the Tierney thing, you don't think they quite fit your system. They're bodies and they're available 
and you'll use them if you have to but if you don't have to you will string out for as long as possible and I think that's why he kept Saka on is that you're sort of hoping he'd run off the injury and he wouldn't have to change his system but then I think what's happened is I think there are players on the periphery who are starting to see what they have to do and not to go back to the Tierney point too much something I did notice about Tierney when he came on was how he was playing that Zinchenko role. The amount of time he spent in central midfield, he was tucking in. And it was like, you've, I've never seen Tierney tuck in before. And I think that people are seeing, like, if I want to play in, in, in Arteta's arsenal, this is what I have to do. And I think Nelson is one of those players who's... The difference... That not, look, Nottingham Forest, it's one game, so I don't want to say he's completely changed the way he's played. But the way he was playing for us when he had chances before, the way he's played when he's been out on loan... That's not how he's been playing. Those aren't the positions he was taking up. You know, the confidence he had with with the ball, the decisions he was making. I think that there are a few, not all, but there are a few players around the team who who know that their only chance of getting in the team is actually to emulate the players that they want to replace rather than being a better version of themselves. I think Nelson's looking at it going, I can't play for Arsenal if I'm just Reese Nelson. The way I get into Arteta's team is I have to play like Bukayo Saka. And I think when he came on, he played a very similar game. He took up the positions I would expect Saka to take up. He made the decisions I would expect Saka to make. Um, and I think that that's, I think that that was the difference. When he came in, I didn't see, there was no noticeable shift in the team. It wasn't like it was a plan B. We were bringing on a player to play a different a different game. He wasn't a substitute in the sense like a substitute is usually you bring someone on to change the game, right? You're going to bring someone on to change the tactics, to change the formation, to add something new. You know, you've got the reason Tommy Asu went over and left back in the first place was we knew that you needed a right footed defender against Salah because, you know, he cuts in and that's why it worked. Um so you you make those tactical changes to adjust to the to to who you're playing or how the the game is going. But Nelson came on and he wasn't a substitute. He wasn't there to change anything. He was just there to be a replacement for Saka and to do what Saka did. And I think if he keeps playing like that, he'll get more chances. And I think I think he'll have a a good he. He'll play he'll play well. And you know and I think another player who did a great job when they first came into the team, but when they're fit again and they come back, I think he's going to have to probably change the way they play a lot is Smith Rowe. Because I don't see how the Smith Rowe who broke into the team and made that big difference playing the way he played gets in this current team because he doesn't replace Martinelli because you get rid of Martinelli. Martinelli, you've got to change the whole formation, the whole strategy. He's not going to play instead of Odegaard because he doesn't have the same skill set. He might play in certain games. And I think, you know, if we're, if we're talking plan B players, you know, we're, we're really looking at those European games when, when, um, when Eddie's playing up front. We'll have different styles of wingers and we'll have different styles of fullbacks and that will work. But the way that Arteta wants to play in the Premier League and to get us into Champions League spots, hopefully to keep us at the top of the table for as long as possible, you you have you you have to be Martinelli, Saka, Erdegaard, Jesus. Those are the players you have to be if you want to play in this team. 
Yeah, I think that's I think it's an interesting point you make about the style of, of Nelson in terms of like being more Bukayo Saka-esque and there's, there's plenty of things that we can sort of, I guess, chow down on whilst we're in World Cup mode with regards to the players that are either going to be staying home and then coming back in. In in your view, Josh, I mean, obviously, like if we put the two goals together, the one thing that Nelson, I think, has done when he's come on in, in recent games, certainly since he's been given a bit of an opportunity since coming back from injury, he, he's he's very direct, isn't he? He seems to be a player that, that likes to go at people. And he, and he, he, you could see even in the PSV game at home in particular, when he came on in that game, he, he was he was trying to make an impression straight away. You could see he was trying to sort of catch the eye and, and almost maybe doing too much. But in this game, what I particularly liked was in both goals, especially the first one where he leaves the defender on his ass, gets a little bit of fortune to, to get the rebound, but he made that luck himself. He was in the right place at the right time, um, and it gave us that that threat from that wide area. And I would argue that because Marquinhos is quite raw, it almost feels like Nelson will be that one who will be the deputy for the Sackers and the Martinellis if they do require a break. Is is that what impressed you most about the opportunity that he, that he took in this game? Is is the fact that he did just that, came in, took the opportunity, and as Dan said, replaced Saka in the best possible way in that game. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that came most across was when I was thinking about where where we've seen Reese Nelson before and even on his loan spells, it's actually been in the channel where Martinelli is. I think even against PSV, he was on that other wing and really didn't offer too much in the sense of he was trying to be direct, but nothing really came off for him. Now, whether or not that's the quality of the opposition, um, perhaps that's something to do with it and maybe playing against a arguable championship defence um, has helped him out there and it maybe that is his kind of level but you know what if it's the thing that gives him his momentum and his confidence to then push on against better sides that we're going to play in the league then I'm all for it but it looked like playing in that right hand channel is what he needed is there was a bit more space for him there everybody was kind of expecting I suppose these days that if Saka was there or you would expect Vieira or um, even Odegaard, they all want it on their left foot. And he came in there as a right-footed player and completely changed everything that they would probably have been drilled about all week because Saka will play 90 minutes and he'll spend most of his time wanting it on his left foot. And then, unfortunately, they've kicked him off the park and they've brought, we've brought on a guy who... And they've got to completely change everything they were thinking about and he was just that opposite that... That's why I think why he got so much space and made that space for him was just that tactic, the tactics they've been working on, just they didn't account for a player like that to be in that position. And I think that's where he's got to take his opportunities. And I think he's always had that goal scoring threat. I remember in his youth, um, and I know some people may laugh or scoff at the player that I would mention uh, that he used to play up front with uh, when he was a kid, it was Jaden Sancho. They came through together as kids you know, on the same estate, and they would play as a t- front two. And you can see that's where he's got that kind of killer instinct playing off. Again, they're both small kids. Neither of them are huge. We don't have a huge side at Arsenal either. So he's used to dovetailing, especially when Saka or Martinelli like to get close to Jesus or they just interchange. There's always at least two of them in there. All small, diminutive guys. They know what balls are going to come into them. 
no one's trying to knock it down to them it's all going to be to your feet maybe at chest height tops but otherwise he knows what kind of things he's going to get and he looked like he was playing that game on instinct rather than necessarily on tactics and I think that's where we've seen him before uh, when he's had his kind of cameos is he was being, almost doing what he was told rather than relaxing into it and he seemed a lot more relaxed when he came on maybe that's because he came on we'd already scored and he wasn't trying to have to break that game open it didn't have to be or they weren't looking to him to go like i suppose psv was just starting in this game unlock that defense that's your job um whilst we'd already done that in the first half i think that obviously gave him that platform to really just free himself um i think maybe the assist that he got is um, an assist in fantasy football world, but I don't think there's anything clinical about it. Um, being able to just play a square ball to uh, Thomas Partey, I think Elneny can do that. Um, Sandy Lacon <laughs> could do that. I think the only player we couldn't be is if we got Kolasinic back. Uh, he probably couldn't play that square pass. But otherwise, yeah, um, I think, yeah, the cameo or, yeah, I want to see more from him because he really looked like a guy that could come in as Daniel's saying, everybody knows now that to play in that certain position, you need to have this certain way of playing. And it doesn't really matter if you're Saka, play like Saka. It's do what Saka is doing. Or then you see it with Eddie as well. Eddie's a completely different player since the summer. I mean, I think there were many of us that would have gone, the Eddie from last season, yeah, we would have driven him to wherever, whichever club wanted him. Uh, we would have driven him there and said, thank you very much. You've taken the money and gone. But the start he had where he started to look a lot like Gabriel Jesus, you're thinking, hmm, there's something about this, something going on down at Colney. And uh, long may it continue. Yeah, for, for me, the main thing with Reese is, I mean, he will probably, you would imagine he'll probably play on Thursday. Um, Saka trained today and Arteta said he's he's fine. Um, but he shouldn't be starting that game against Zurich. Uh, we, we need him for Sunday. Um, and arguably, you know, you just treat him with kid gloves this week and you say to Reese, right, go and go and replicate what you did on Sunday. Go and have another game against Zurich and enjoy yourself. The one thing I, I really hope is that even if Reese does go back to the bench on Sunday, which you'd expect him to if Saka is fit, um, I hope he's the option we turn to to play left wing rather than Eddie. Because um, th- I'm sorry, Michaela, I, I love what you're doing. Eddie don't work on the left, all right? I mean, you know, some would argue he doesn't work through the middle at the moment, but that's a story for another day. But, yeah, it doesn't work on the left. Something that that does seem to work, though, this year, Daniel, is um, Thomas Partey's right foot seems to have finally found his range. Um, He still puts plenty over the bar, don't get me wrong. But that, in fact, we'll we'll couple the two two other goals together as one, really, rather than going through every individual goal. But both those goals, the, the, the swing and, and the slot from, from Partey and the, the intricate footwork followed by the bang from Erdegaard to cap off a, a lovely day. Two two really nice goals, weren't they? Both slightly different, but both technically very good from, from two players who are finding their best form. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I won't labour too much on, on Partey's, Partey's goals, but I think that... It's a it's a style of goal that you expect from that type of player, um, you know whether it's him, whether it's you know 
when El Nani scored a few of those, whether it's Ingolo Kante, you know, Gilberto back in the day, anyone playing in that deep position, you kind of expect them to every now and again contribute a couple of rockets. And if you you think back to when we first signed Granit Xhaka, those were the goals he was scoring. He only he only seemed to score those goals. Um, I actually think the player that he is now is just like incredible. I think that they're they're probably. I would argue that the the two most important players to the way that we're playing at the moment are Martinelli and Zach, uh, and, and Granit Xhaka. Um, but the 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 Erdegaard goal was, as you say, it was it was great technique, great feet. Um, but it's it's a kind of it's the sort of I call them the Carlos Vela goal. It's the one that it looks great when we when you're already winning four nil. Um, what I want to start seeing is that he did that because he felt comfortable and confident because it's like, well, if I miss, doesn't matter because we're already winning 4-0. The game's won. I'd like to see Erdogan doing that more regularly early on. And when, when he has shown that kind of confidence and that kind of willingness to to try something, you think back to the Spurs game, you know, last uh, last season, then he, he scored that, that goal. Um, that's... That's what he's capable of, and I think that there's there's more there's a lot more in him to do that on a more regular basis. But I think sometimes I'm not going to say the pressure of captaincy or anything like that because I think that's a bit of a cliche. But I think that you see it a lot with creative midfielders. We you know we every midfielder we've had in that position. You saw it with Ozil. You saw it with Fabregas. Um, it took them a while to find their goal scoring boots because they were too hesitant, either hanging on to the ball a little bit too long because they want to make the perfect pass, taking one more touch than they need to because they don't want to be the guy who misses. And I think adding that element of risk taking, once he gets that and he starts scoring on the regular, um, I think it's going to be a great, great thing for, for, for the club because we've got, We've got goals coming from from all over, and I think the the two areas where we we need to improve on the pitch is probably more goals actually coming from central positions, um, from Erdegaard and and from Jesus. You know he's playing blindingly well at the moment, loads of um, you know assists, and he's taking up great positions, and you know he's pulling defenders here, there, and everywhere. But he's also got to start putting the ball in the back of the net, and I think that. You know, we're top of the league at the moment, but there's levels that this Arsenal team can still, you know, aspire to and achieve. And I think, I don't think it's luck that we are where we are. I think we are where we are because we've got bloody good players. We've got a good coach. We've got good strategy. Our tactics are almost spot on in every game. The substitutions are usually pretty good. Um, the big tactical decisions, I can't think of any that have, been majorly wrong in the last year or so or or certainly ones that you couldn't put down to the fact that the quality of player wasn't quite what it needed to be but the recruitment has been has been brilliant and I think we can look at the team now and say okay we could we could do more in depth you know we need we need someone to um you know properly play back up to Thomas we we need people who can fill in for Martinelli and the rest of it but actually when you look at how young the team is and you look at those little things that can be improved on. So Erdegaard playing 
with that same freedom in the first half of the match that he does when we're already two or three nil up. You add extra goals coming in from Jesus. I think, I, I, you know, call me call me mad, but I, I think winning the league is would not surprise me with the, with this with this team because I think everything's right. Um, and as I said, there's there's levels there's levels to come. And I think as we get deeper into the season, this this World Cup is going to knock a lot of things out of whack. But if we come back and we keep playing the way that we have, and we keep pushing on, um, yeah, don't be surprised if Arsenal, Arsenal Arsenal win the league. I, I I do not subscribe to the view that this is Man City's league to win, and you know we're just giving them the best run at the moment. I I actually Arsenal are in the lead. We've got the the points. We've got the games in hands on other teams. You know, it's uh, we're the front runners, um, and deservedly so. Yeah, yeah. I, I must admit, I, I do. I, I'm very, I'm very sort of torn on where I feel we are at the moment in terms of that. Like you said, you you, could, you can downplay it for a while, um, but there does come a point where you have to start looking at it and going, well, actually, where are we? You know, where are we going now? Like, where are we? What are we? aiming for uh, in terms of what's the ceiling limit and you, you do wonder what Arteta might say to the behind closed doors um, there does seem to be a collective from the group that they are aiming a bit higher than maybe the fans are at this stage of, of time um, but time will tell I guess in, in that regard Josh I want to um, sort of a bit randomly looking at because it sounds silly to say there isn't too, too much to talk about after a 5 and a win but genuinely there isn't because you know I thought we were we were thoroughly sort of um proficient in what we had to do and we, we took the chances we got the win does it does it kind of hinge for you a little bit now on what happens with the Chelsea game on on Sunday because I sort of feel like we're still in terms of media and everything and I know that it doesn't really matter because we don't care but is there an argument to sort of say that if we don't beat Chelsea, there will be that element of we've, what we felt in the last couple of weeks from the fan base where it's all just gone a little bit like, oh, we're, we're just sort of hobbling a bit, you know. Equally, if we beat Chelsea, do we then all have to say, well, actually, no, we, we need to take this title challenge seriously now because it just feels like there's a lot on this game on Sunday. And of course, that's before we play tomorrow but does that is that how you see it in terms of uh, our biggest test maybe of the recent weeks sorry have we all seen Chelsea I, so did, yeah did, did, I know I, but, I was you know. you know where I was on Saturday right yeah yeah, yeah but I just throwing Graham Potter to his face telling him he's shit and getting under his thin skin by the way all Arsenal fans Graham Potter has got the thinnest skin in the game um, <laughs> if you boo him he'll just get rattled uh, that's what we've been missing all of these times when he beat us at Ostersons, he beat Brighton, beat us with Brighton. It was all because just boo him. We were too nice at the Emirates. Boo him. And that's it. That's all that happened. That is the reason why they collapsed and lost 4-1. Um, <laughs> was because of that hostile atmosphere. Uh, he doesn't like it up him. And I think we can see we've got that group now. Um, I know they've been getting some interesting, um, I think some sly digs from um what well, i mean so traditional tabloids if we put them at what 
kind of derates um you know the, the evening standards right at the top you know because simon collings uh writes for them so that's right the cup can only be at the top uh we're putting you know, red tops down there somewhere and then then you've got like sport something bible or lad something those ones that are going and having a go at these boys that are the reason why we're doing i'd say partly down to why we're doing so well it's because they're helping to generate that atmosphere it's you know we've been talking about the improvement on the field let's talk about the you know the improvement in the stadium as well and you've got to give those lads the you know it's the stuff that is uh you know the supporters that are now there that have been going and we're probably making that noise at highbury just a bit long in the tooth now can't just don't have the energy to stand up for 90 minutes and uh shout a bit they've got to yeah and that as well it's i think it's just not having the something to believe in it's having that group of fans that rain or shine will sing their hearts out everybody can sing you'll never walk alone just before liverpool kick off what when they're one nil down you don't hear them then you hear tumbleweeds flying through the cop at that point it's going to other grounds i always remember going to huddersfield and the noise there they were losing two or three nil but constantly they are still putting that atmosphere in and that's what we've missed at the emirates is whilst we're kind of waiting for the goal waiting for the reason to cheer it was then just dead because no one was filling that silence and the players i think all found it awkward and now we've got a group of fans that are helping push that team forward and then it's getting encouraging the rest of the stadium it's not to say that the people going oh i sit in a different block and i've been singing for, for 20 seasons ever since i've been at the emirates yeah it was happening but the people who would weren't sure about it and now singing those that weren't singing before and now doing it because of this group and i think that's the thing about when it comes to this chelsea game is making sure that we're creating that atmosphere things that potter's doing with this chelsea team right now do not scare me at all from an Arteta point of view, from a Deserby point of view, if I sit on whichever side of the fence I want to. It, there's ways of getting at that team. And I think if we stick by our principles and we hit them early, they're there for the taking. And yeah, we may end up with a result like we got at United or like we got at PSV. But the thing that's changed from last season is when we got one of those losses, we then lost the next two on the bounce. I think it was at least four separate occasions where we lost a game and then we lost the next two. Or I think it was maybe the last case, we lost two and then drew one. What we're seeing now is this team is losing and going, I don't want to feel that shit anymore. That's the reason why we felt shit at the end of last season. Mm. And we managed to, you know, last game of the season, we had to pin our hopes on Spurs fucking up. And the one time in their history they don't, we lose out. I think think on the atmosphere... A couple of like things which are important. A, um, you know, there's a process and a team that people can believe in. I think B, there's some decent songs. We haven't had any for a while. And when you think about all the people who had decent songs, they were all up in sticks and going somewhere else um, because you know they didn't want to be part of the project. They wanted to go somewhere else because they wanted to win or whatever. Um, and it was just heartbreak after heartbreak. And now we've got good quality players when you think about when was the last time we lost a player where we were like damn can't believe we've lost that you know we went through that period where even players now we look back at it and go oh that's that's not that much of a bother 
But, you know, it did bother us when we sold Clichy and then we sold Torre and then, you know, we sold Nasri and we sold Van Persie and Fabregas and Adibayor. Every decent player we had was just going out the door. It's why, like, we end up loving people like Thomas Rosicki, despite the fact, you know, we wanted them to have a good career because they'd suffered with injuries, but they stuck around. And what we've got now is a group of players who, because they're young, because they're growing together, I mean, the test is going to be in a couple of years whether... You know, we hang on to them. But I think if we win stuff, we will hang on to them. Even when we lost to Bamiyang, no one cared. I mean, a couple of people on Twitter cared, but no one really cared. And when he's when he, you know, after six months, he leaves Barcelona and goes to Chelsea. We're like, yeah, so what? I couldn't care. Couldn't care less. Because we don't feel like we're losing our best quality players. We're, we're keeping our best quality players and we're recruiting more. So I think that helps with the atmosphere because... You know when you sing a song about someone, you're not worried that next week they're going to be playing for someone else and scoring against you, which used to be a real fear. And also, I think a, another factor, and this is no disrespect to anyone who used to be in the stadium, I think because of COVID, so many uh, season tickets went up for grabs. And I, I remember I just started a new job, and so I felt really crap that I couldn't afford it. But I was 36,000 on the on the season ticket list i've been on the season ticket list since we moved to the emirates and i'd only made it up to the lofty heights of thirty six thousand in the list i got offered season tickets last year i couldn't afford them at the time and now i'm back to fifteen thousand. but even at fifteen i've jumped up twenty one thousand places so i think what we've actually got is a lot of new people in the stadium and it's not to say that they're necessarily better but I think we've got a lot of people who haven't taken that match day experience for granted and they're there and they're new and they want to be part of it. And I think that's they're adding a new atmosphere. The people who have been around for a long time who were already making an atmosphere, you add those people together. Was I think the people who kept hold of the vast majority of people who kept hold of their tickets are the people who've been going for 20, 30 years, you know, and the people not all, but I would say a significant number of people who gave up their tickets were probably people who just thought, well, I don't want to go anymore. Um, this doesn't bother me. They probably weren't making that much noise. So I'm not saying we've replaced bad supporters with good supporters, but I think what we've done is we, we've replaced maybe jaded supporters with hopeful supporters. And there's lots of reasons for that. But I think that it's it's a give and take process in that the team have given us belief and now the crowd is giving the team belief. And I said, mm -hmm. when I was at the Liverpool game, um, and I'd, you know, I had loads of people going, oh, it's been like this for ages. And I'm just, oh, it might well have been. But in my experience, you know, I've I've been seen see Arsenal a couple of hundred times over the last 20 years. You know, I've been not as fortunate as a season ticket holder, but I've been to quite a few matches. And, you know, I would say in the, you know, the latter Wenger years sort of, you know, 2012 to 2018 was when I probably went the most. And during that period, I always felt that if we conceded a goal or, you know, we went 1-0 up and suddenly, you know, the other team came back or we were 1-0 down, the crowd were just like, oh, not this crap again. And it was a bit like we had a touch of the Fabianskis. Something bad would happen and the heads would go down and we'd never get our head back, back up. Whereas now I think we've got a touch of the Aaron Ramsdale stick 10 goals past us we believe we're saving the next one and we believe we're scoring one more than you and I think that that's I think that's been the big difference because when that goal went in at Liverpool 
two, three, four years ago, I know if I'd been at that match, the crowd would have been, oh, you're rubbish, typical Arsenal, same old crap, stupid mistake, you've done this, you've done that. Immediately, it was people singing, you know, Saliba's song, um, you know, let's get behind the team, let's cheer them on. And then we go and smash in a couple more goals and we have a pretty convincing win against the team. OK, they're not at their best at the moment, but on their day, they can still turn people over. They've still got top quality players. So, you know, it was a it was a test for us. And I think that the crowd and the team are working. You know, they've got oh, I hate this word, but they've got a synergy about them. <laughs> I apologise profusely to everyone. I knew that one was coming. <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's an almost symbiotic relationship, you know. It's you know we're relying on them to keep us going, and they're relying on us to keep them going, and it's yeah. working. And long uh, may it continue. I agree with that, and I think I think it also sort of spits in the face of this idea that if there's a lot of talk at the moment about the, the blackout being lifted and, you know, there was a lot of uh, sort of, again, wringing of hands about the fact that we weren't anywhere on TV on Sunday, which was purely because Sky chose the Leeds-Liverpool game the day before, so they didn't have access to play the, the two games on the Sunday. Um, I just sort of feel in that regard that there, there's this argument that if you make every game on TV, people won't go. I, I think that's nonsense i think there's still plenty of thousands of people who will still gladly go to games because if the team is is not even necessarily successful if the team is playing well and the entertainment factor is there there will be a demand and and people will still go the only people that maybe will think twice about going are the same people that think twice about going now people like myself who physically can't afford to go every week like it's just it unfortunately the world is the world the way the world is and it doesn't matter whether you've been over this a thousand times but you don't have to be middle-aged white and live in north london to support arsenal you can be any creed and color you what? can be any background or religion wherever you are news. <laughs> yeah i know it's amazing isn't it um and and I would argue that you're almost more of a fan for getting up at 3 a.m. on, you know, in Hong Kong or or Australia, wherever, to to watch a team than than rolling out of bed on a, a Saturday morning and walking down the road. Um, yeah, I say that with tongue in cheek, of course, but it, it it doesn't make you any less of a fan if you choose to or can only afford to be at home um, and enjoy what the team is is putting out. Um, just just one other sort of subject I want to cover in terms of sort of looking ahead to things talking about europe a bit because we i think it'll be very dangerous to say we're already through top of the group on thursday because we're not you know we still have to do a job against europe tomorrow i think you know if i had to put put money on it i'd be fairly conf- confident that I'm in that particular game but i'm just looking at the live stats for the champions league at the moment and the teams that are going to drop in Sadly, uh, Spurs won't be one of them because that would have been hilarious. But as we look at it right now, we know that Ajax are in as they finish third in, in Group A. Leverkusen finished third in Group B. Barcelona mm-hmm. finished third in Group C. Sporting in Group D. As the live standings are as of half a state in the evening on, on Tuesday. So this could all change. But as it stands right now, Salzburg will be joining them, as will Shakhtar. That's confirmed because they were the early kickoffs. Sevilla, we know what they're like in the Europa League. And as it stands right now, Maccabi Haifa, because Juventus hilariously are losing again and Haifa level with Benfica, that could change. So, I mean, that could arguably be Juventus. There's there's a couple of big names there, but arguably a couple of big names that are struggling, you know, that, that are down on their luck. Mm. Equally, though, 
you don't really want to draw a few of those, do you? I look at Ajax Barcelona and, and um, uh, Sporting Sevilla. There'll probably be four I pick out. Mm. Do you feel like we need to be prioritizing one competition over the other are we are we one of the favorites for this europa league i'm i'm really struggling with europa league this year like i Uh, i know the group stage isn't fun but you know what i mean i just i can't determine where we should be prioritizing what at the moment i i would say we are still probably one of the favorites going in i think it Mm. got ever so slow you know the odds were probably in our favor we went in probably level with man united and then got ever shorter as we were climbing up the Premier League, irrespective of what we were doing in um, in Europe. Mm. And I think we're still there. When we drop those teams down, remember if we win the league, or sorry, win the top of the table um, in Europa League, we bypass that playoff round. We get a bye to the round of 16. Every schmuck that finishes second has to go up and try and knock out one of those eight teams that's dropping down from the Champions League. And that's where we saw Rangers and Frankfurt end up getting through that round because they managed to avoid that tricky fixture where in the middle of February, I think it's when the round of six, round of 32 would drop in, it's early February, fixture congestion, players have just come back from World Cups. They've got other things going on in their leagues. We're talking about Sevilla. They might still be in the relegation zone by the time that comes round. They're not doing well in the league. Um, Barcelona may have a, probably a Classico drops at some point around that time of year. Uh, there'll be many things going on in league campaigns where one or two of those teams will possibly still be in a similar similar level of form or have other priorities for them where they may end up slipping out and a team like PSV will end up progressing because they can knock out one of those teams because those are teams that are on the up. They finish second in their group. They've got the momentum. And we know that there are these intangibles um, that can kind of happen. I think the team that I would be most annoyed about if I were to get through would be drawing Shakhtar. Uh, I think it was a bit mm. like the um, poison chalice of uh, both Scotland and Wales drawing Ukraine as they tra- fought to qualify for the World Cup. Is you're on a you know the losing side, irrespective of what you do, if you knock them out or you don't, especially as their league campaign doesn't exist and what's going to happen to them in February. But there's still that kind of momentum that I think teams will have picked up again, especially with a longer enforced break. I think I know Germany aren't going back for ages. You know, they're, they're mm. doing, they're tacking their winter break onto the end of the world cup. So I think there's a lot of things that to be honest, I wouldn't be too annoyed if we almost put out a starting 11 that played against forest against Zurich. I know it won't mm. happen, but I'd rather we got two or three up and then that was it. Th- you know, three, no up. I think it'll bring the kids on. Yeah, we've got five subs to make as well. I think that's the other thing that really helps us mm. this season is that we could start with that strong lineup and then go, yeah, we ballsed up against PSV. Really, this should have been the game a bit like, well, see the um, anyone have a look through the Man City team that's starting up against Sevilla because they've topped their group. They're already qualified. doesn't matter. We're going to name six Academy products that you'll never hear of again until they're playing for Vincent Company's Burnley. Uh, that's basically their lineup. Uh, that's the thing that 
that's the position we should be in. And I think we should be attacking Europa League um, as much as possible. And you've got two players. Sorry, you've got, you've yeah, got two players that could could get fitness from this game as well. El Nene's back in full training now mm. and Sinchenko's training again today. So that if there's ever a game to blood them back in, surely this is the one you give them like 45 to an hour. It sounds ridiculous. There's only, what, two, maybe three games after this mm. one before the World Cup. Uh, we've also yes. got a Brighton game midweek as well. Yes, um, two Premier League. You've got Chelsea and, and Wolves midweek and then yes. sandwiching that as the EFL Cup game in Brighton. That's it, yeah. Yeah, and that's it before the World Cup. And to be honest... I'm not expecting... I would be putting the kids out for the EFL Cup. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Brighton did exactly the same thing. We know we've got more fixtures to slide into our calendar than other teams because we also had to move mm. the Man City game as well as then losing two games um, yeah, for the Queen's funeral and the... Um, yeah, was it two weeks of mourning that we had? Uh those are the things that we're going to end up with a pretty, pretty tight cal- fixture calendar. And yeah, I think that's the thing we have to really carefully manage now. Um, but yeah, Daniel, I was trying to think what next, what Chris's, Chris's next point, point was going to be. Yeah. I think his next point is, uh, is shopping has arrived. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's that it's an hour away. Um, who knows? But yeah, is there anyone that you would, want to avoid if they got through that kind of playoff round? Not, no, not particularly. I think that the way I look at the Europa League is I would actually rather we played the best available teams, even those who are dropping out of the Champions League as early as possible, because we either beat them and then we remove our main competition or we lose and then we can just get on and focus um focus on um on the league what i wouldn't what i really wouldn't want to do is get to a point where we're you know we're, we're facing you know barcelona in in the semi-finals and it's like oh we've got a real chance mm-hmm. of getting to a final and win winning you know winning um you know european cup here but at that time we're sort of jostling, you know, in top four positions, trying to juggle FA Cup matches, you know, a congested fixture list and thinking, you know, this might be our chance where, you know, we could we could win the league. We could finish top four. St. Totteringham's Day might finally come again, that kind of thing. I don't want to be in that position where where we feel that we have to put out our very best teams um, in a in a, in a in a semi in a European semi final because it's our only chance of getting past Barcelona. I'd rather play them now, get it get it done as soon as possible. I'd rather, um, if I'm honest, I'd rather we didn't have I'd rather we didn't have the distraction of the Europa League. Um, not because I think it's a bad competition. I think it's a good competition and I think it's a a worthy cup. But it's it's more it's more the case of you know, we do have a limited squad. You know, there isn't that much rotation. We we know that there are two or three players in our team that you take them out, just one of them out, and we look a completely different team. You know, you take Party out of the midfield. Who have we got to replace him? You know, who's playing instead of, you know, Martinelli? We're saying that we're hoping Nelson might be able to fill that spot. But, you know, Nketiah's good at what he does 
if Jesus isn't playing, we play a different way. He can't fill that role. If we don't have Saliba, it's like, okay, well, fine, we don't have Saliba. We're going to slot. Um, we're going to we're going to slot White back in to the defence. And I thought he was in, he was our best defender last year. So the fact that he's been pushed out onto the right early on in the season, I was like, I don't feel comfortable with that because I feel like he hasn't done, he doesn't deserve to lose his place, but he's been fantastic as a right back. But then you then lose a fantastic right back and who's the replacement? You know, if we, if, if we've still got injuries and Tommy Asu's on the left, do we really want Cedric playing for four or five games? I mean, I don't mind him slotting in every now and again, but I wouldn't want to rely on him. And I think that's the position that we're in is that we have, we are going to have to, after Christmas, make some hard choices in prioritising what do we actually want to be in. Um, do we want to disrespect the F by, FA Cup by playing kids? If we're still in, you know, the the um, what, whatever the milk cup is now, the Coca-Cola cup, I can't remember what it is, Carabao? What is Carabao, it? Is that yeah. What it is yeah. Carabao, there we go. So, you know, if we're still in that um, and we get to a point like, do you remember... A few years, I'm going back quite a number of years. Um, I think it was actually 2007 when we got to the final. We played kids mm. in every single game. And then in the final, we decided we were going to bring the big guns in. And we brought in four or five of our main starters and we lost the game anyway. That was the Walcott Terry kicked in the face by Diaby game, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and, I, and that was then replicated a number of times over the years. But that was the first time that we actually did something like that. And I think that I don't want Arteta to be in that position where we're in a we're in a, a cup. Okay, it's a cup, and you want to win, but ultimately you've, we've we've got to think where is what is our squad capable of, and where do we want to be? And we all agree that we want to be back in the Champions League, and we want Arsenal to be winning the title or as close to winning as title as possible. You could offer me. Three European leagues, uh, Europa League trophies on the trot, another two or three FA Cups, you know, and a couple of EFLs, you know, Carabao Cups. But I want us to win the league. It's been it's been 18 years. I want I want Arsenal to actually, you know, it, it's been I can't even remember what season it was. 20, 2013, 2014, um, when when Leicester won. Um, I might have even been as late as 2016. I can't remember now um, when we somehow managed to have Tottenham finish third in a two-horse race. You know, we we could have won the league that year. 2008, we could have won the league that year. But we haven't looked like really serious contenders for a long time. And the fact that, you know, OK, we're only 11, 12 games into the season and we're top of the league and it looks great. But I want us to still be there after 25, 30 games. And I think if we're pushing too hard on all fronts on the basis of, well, we're in the competition, so we'll give it our best, uh, you know, shoot me down. But there are a couple of competitions where I'm like, Do you know what? I don't want us to give it our best this year. I just want Saka to be fit. I want Erdegaard to be fit. I want Martinelli to be fit. I, I, I want, you know, um, Saliba to stay fit, White to stay fit. I don't want to risk players going after the Europa League or, you know, the Carabao Cup or whatever. I just want to see us mm. pushing for the league, doing our best in the league this season, because I think that that is going to be um, the, 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 
the point in which things change for us for the better. Because once we're up there, if we almost win the league, we get back into the Champions League, or if you know we win the league, that's when, you know, I'm not saying that we're going to buy this player, but in Sky Sports today, they had an article about where's Bellingham going to go next? Oh, is he going to go to Man City? <laughs> oh, is he going to go to... To, to you know to Barcelona or is he going to go to Real Madrid and I'm thinking 10 15 years ago people would have been going oh it's a it's a three-way battle between you know um uh, Juventus Arsenal and uh, and Real Madrid for this wonder kid who invariably we didn't end up getting but the, the point is that we we're not even considered a place for them now and I, and I think that if we're Premier League winners or we're the runners-up, we're back in the Champions League and you've got a player of Bellingham's quality who's looking for a team where he feels he can achieve something, you'd be looking at Arsenal going, do you know what? They've got a young team. They've got an ambitious coach. They almost won the league or they've just won the league. You know, This is a team that's going to be together for the next five, six, seven years. You keep a good quality team together for five or six years, you'll win trophies galore. We just need to break that duck. And, you know, we've won a few FA Cups over the last 18 years, but it hasn't been a catalyst to go on and achieve better things because it's a cup competition. And I love the FA Cup. You know, the the FA Cup has given me some of the best memories of my life, but winning leagues, winning titles, that's what attracts the best players. That's what keeps players at your club. Different that, gravy. That's, that's the challenge for us, and that, that's what we need to do. So, yeah, the Europa League, every other cup can, as far as I'm concerned, this season can get in the bin. Put yeah. everything we've got into staying top of the league. Absolutely everything. Mm. Well, I, I, I personally want. I, I mean, I'll take them all. Uh, we'll, we'll just do the treble, and then we don't have to worry. So. But yeah, I, I know, I know what you mean. I, I sort of feel like. We, what we need to do uh, in an ideal world, this is, this is of course an ideal world, which we don't live in, but in an ideal world, we go and beat Chelsea on Sunday. Um, we beat Wolves before the break. We go into the World Cup, uh, you know, top. We can, And then we can see what we've got. Because don't forget, it's not just injuries, but it's also the mental aspect of the players we get back after the World Cup. You know, if, if uh, as, as we all know, it's going to happen, England crash at the first hurdle, Saka will be a bit down. Um, folks aside, but you know there, there is going to be there's the physical and the mental aspect of coming back from a World Cup, which we're going to have to take into consideration. And then there's the flip side of that, where we hopefully will have a fit Smith Rowe back, for example. Um, and you've got the transfer window, which you know we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it about who or what we might need to reinforce. Um, but having the likes of El Nene, Cedric. And, uh, and Zinchenko potentially back fit again for tomorrow is is a bonus because it, it does give you that opportunity to still have enough quality to beat the opposition in front of you, but rest some of those key players if you if you need to. Um, so we shall see what happens there. Um, and good point, Josh, about the Europa League. You know the fact that teams who are in, in second have still got that looming God knows what to come. Um, as there's quite a few decent sides in those second places. Um, Man United are one of them. Um, they're behind Sociedad. So unless they win tomorrow, I presume they, I suppose in theory, they could draw, but they would be fine. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what, you know, what the draw is and when that's done. Is it done before the World Cup or afterwards when they draw it? I imagine it'd be done. The draw itself? Yeah, I'd assume it'd be before because they don't need to wait for anything. Yeah. 
that point. Um, no, just get it done so yeah. everyone knows who. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then um, uh, after we've and we come back on boxing, don't, don't we, with with West Ham? So it's it is all it is all go. Um, speaking of which, all go. Uh, due to the fact that your host with the most or lack thereof. <laughs> Be, there being me, uh, has a shopping delivery in, in around about 10 minutes' time. We are going to do a slightly shorter show this week, purely because it's a very big delivery. <laughs> I'm not going to have time to take it otherwise. So um, we are going to do a slightly shorter show this week, but we do have a little bit of time left just to do a bit of quick fire on the questions. We haven't had a huge amount, so we'll just run through the ones we've got, Josh, and then if anybody's got anything in the chat that they want to fire across now, we'll do our best to nip through those as well. So what have we got? Uh, we have one question. It's from Phil Mapper. Oh, even better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the question is, uh, it might even be tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Chris, I will ask you quickly, uh, and I think we might have covered it already, could Saka being out injured almost be a blessing as not sure Arteta ever wants to stop playing him? Yeah, I did did see that. Uh, um, I am not blessing, but I get the point of view in that yeah, I, I, th- I think I alluded to it last week when I said about that sort of comment from Arteta that, that Daniel touched on as well about the whole, you know, playing 60 games. If you want to be an elite player, you've got to get used to that. I, I tend to disagree. And I do wonder if I was surprised that he may- alluded to it again, because um, I just think it's a very old fashioned mentality sort of talk. And I, I don't think that's the modern way now. Um, personally, you know, it's a sh- it's actually a bit of a shame that we've got such a big game on Sunday because Saka's the sort of player that he gets momentum by playing. You know, he's one of those players that he gets better the more games he plays and, and the more consistency he gets. He's not a player you can you can bring in and in and out, which sort of implies to me that he'll probably get some minutes tomorrow. Um, probably from the bench, you would imagine Reese would would start, um, but I, I have a suspicion that he will play some part tomorrow just to keep his sort of match fitness going and make sure that that injury is is absolutely fine for Sunday. Um, but yeah, we, we do have to be careful. And, and again, you know, depending on how far England go, you would expect him to be part of that setup at least. I mean, I personally think he should be starting for England anyway. But if he does, that's yet more games. So I get I get the sentiment. Um, but I think as long as Arteta's there, I think he'll probably play most of the games, to be honest. <laughs> Um, I did notice one other question, actually, that we did have from Hantumi, which was directed at me. So I'll just quickly address it, which was the thoughts on David de Costa at Lens. Would he fit the Premier League or, or our system? Um, the short answer to that, Hantumi, is is yes, but no. Uh, <laughs> Fabio Vieira is a, quite a similar player. I don't think we would look at someone like him. He's a very talented Portuguese under-21 international Think he, I think a, a sort of an Arsenal type of move would be one step too early. He's not even a regular at Lens yet, so he would need to break into that side. He'd be far better sticking with them for a season, season or two yet, before his inevitable move to Aston Villa or someone like that, where he gets <laughs> drifted into the background, never to be seen again. But yeah, a very talented player, but we have Fabio Vieira. I think we're probably well stocked in that department. Um... Bum, have we got anything else? I don't think we really have anything no. else. Avon asked um, if uh, Marseille are a Champions League quality team. Uh, no, oh. too many, uh, too many Arsenal players. <laughs> yeah, I mean their record, <laughs> their record speaks for itself. It's not great yeah. um, on paper. They are, you know, history-wise, etc. But yeah, I mean, is that I, um, is that history with or without brown envelopes? 
Well, there is, yes, there's certainly a very yeah. suspect uh, element to the history of the Champions League, it would be fair to say. Um, but that said, I, I think there's quite a few teams in, in the current Champions League that are not fit for the Champions League. Atletico Madrid, <coughs> Juventus, <coughs> Spurs. <coughs> Christ, oh, what have I done? Um, but yeah, I mean, that group, it is funny that I did see quite a lot of Spurs fans giving it the beans after they um, you know, got that result last night and think, oh, look at us, we're flying... So you literally are in the worst group of all of them and you've limped through with one leg trailing behind you that's been smashed into a thousand pieces. Like the first good team they play, they're gone. Like it, it's absolutely nailed on. They are gone. So, yeah, enjoy it while you can, Spurs fans. Um, right. Just before we do sort of close, close for the show then, uh, we, we don't really do predictions, but I don't want to sort of know scores or anything, but... Daniel, looking ahead to the games this week, are you where where are you in terms of confidence? Just give me a very brief sort of summary. Are you confident that we can win both tomorrow and against Chelsea on Sunday? Oh, no, without a shadow of a doubt. Yep. Um, Pretty 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 confident that we'll. If if there was a game that I'm less confident about, it would be tomorrow, Zurich. I think that. not that we would lose, but I think that it's the sort of game that might be a bit scrappy, a bit tired, players being saved for Sunday, um, or maybe players being rushed back for, for the reasons that you mentioned to try and keep them in the rhythm. But um, so, yeah, I've, I've got no worries about us topping, topping the group tomorrow. No worries about that at all. And I think that, um, I think, I think Chelsea, um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna predict a comfortable win. Um, wow! I think I think they're I think they're a good team, but I think we're significantly better. Um, and I think if you know they can, you know, get stumped three-one by by Brighton, then there's no four-one. Sorry, was it four-one? Yeah, four-one. Yeah, it's four-one. Yeah. Four, yeah. four, oh, sorry, I saw it three. Yeah. I'm like, oh well, that's even better. So yeah, they scored you know, in the 90th minute as well. Yeah, they got a late yeah, cherry I mean, on top. I, I didn't yeah. see I didn't see the score at that point. I think I was. Uh, cursing my accumulator because I'd, I'd missed out on something else but um yeah but no I'm, I'm i'm pretty confident that you know given how we played even when we lost to, to united we played well um games that we don't play well in we tend to scrap a win um and games in which we do play well in apart from the united outlier we, we won convincingly and i just think that we're, we're gonna we're, I th- i'm predicting a convincing win or oh, what okay. would be considered convincing against a team of Chelsea stature? Yeah, yeah, I will. I will 100% take that personally. Uh, I'm I'm on board with that. I, I can get on board with that 100%. Um, Danny has just, or Danny's been in the chat briefly, uh, just to say there's no preview or post game show tomorrow because his webcam isn't working. Don't know about he you to stop wasting his webcam battery on own, on his OnlyFans. Precisely. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling sus to that comment. I think Danny's yeah. been on the old uh, chatterbait a bit too much and uh, his webcam's overheated or got covered in some sort of substance or something. There's an image for you. I think he's your... actually just, um, he's had a shaving accident. That's what I'm Ugh. expecting. I was going to be, be scaring people on Omegle, giving them pop quizzes on <laughs> <laughs> TV and, on, and film shows and whatnot. Good yeah. lord! The, the, some of the images I I don't even want to 
share with the listeners because you know halloween's gone now um but yeah i don't know i know carl is um is usually across like things like the the spaces and stuff so don't be surprised if something pops up tomorrow Uh, i mean if we win like 17 nil or something we might pop in to say hello but um or if we lose three nil and the world is melting down we might pop on but just uh no promises basically um as we said 100 times before we ain't paid to do this so <laughs> we do it when we can for your danny, viewing pleasure danny oh, yeah. actual money yeah i was gonna say maybe we shouldn't have said that with you live nice. on there yeah nice <laughs> danny pays us in dollary dues from 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 fairyland um yeah. but yes so um I think all that really remains to be said is let's hope for a positive result tomorrow. Um, let's hope even stronger for a positive result on Sunday, because I, I think I think we have to start saying if, if we can beat Chelsea on Sunday, um, we, I think we realistically have to start thinking about, or if we weren't already, we have to be thinking about just how, how far we could go this season. Um, and let's be honest, beating Chelsea. And I've already seen the advert with Aubameyang on BT Sport. I hate his face already. Um, <laughs> I'd like very much for us to uh, put him on his ass and 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 put Chelsea to the sword. It's amazing so how quickly he is off people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Although, in fairness, like don't get it wrong, I'm not Captain Hindsight. I loved him when he was here, but I still remember when we first signed him, and I remember talking to Drew about it and going. He hasn't got the best track record for when things aren't going well. Even back to his St Etienne days, like he always had that in him. And I just worried about where this would end and look where it's gone. But yeah, you know, fuck right. him, fuck Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, it was, just, so it was a, just a shame that the manager that he fell out with famously um, left shortly after he yeah, joined. Yeah, who'd have thought? Um, who'd have thought who'd that have thought, was going to happen? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, Daniel, thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate it. It's nice to have you back in, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you again. And uh, Josh, thank you for for being Danny and probably more organised, to be honest. Your higher higher calibre of podcast production. Don't worry, I've just found some things that I can put on the screen. Look at that. Oh, look, there's there's (laughs) Danny. Look, sticker. Uh, Oh, this one. Oh, for Christ. I think I think that is as good as time as any to wrap this shit up. Um, But yeah, thank you for pressing the button. Uh, like I said, no promises with regards to a post-show game or post-game show tomorrow. We'll see what we can do. Uh, depends if Carl is holding together, uh, holding London together with sticky tape or not. We'll see what we can do. But if not, we will be back after Chelsea. I would imagine Danny will probably do something previewing Chelsea as well. So look out for that. If you have been watching live, uh, give us a little thumbs up. Um, if you are watching in delay or indeed in the future who knows then uh, do subscribe to the youtube channel or obviously the various podcast platforms and if you do flick the subscribe button uh, for notifications it will let you know when we go live so you never miss a show i mean in theory youtube is weird with what it actually tells you and what's live and what isn't but in theory that's what should happen so please do um, and don't forget we do go through the comments so um you know i'm always across those because i always like to see how many people hate me or love me i don't actually don't care at all but i am always in the comments to reply to people as indeed is danny so uh yeah feel free to leave a comment and we will uh message you back accordingly right that is it for tonight many thanks to my guests uh i'm off to take the old delivery because i have no food sad times till next time ladies and gents keep it arsenal and we'll speak to you very soon take care as soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog. <laughs>